0: Welcome to the Movie Business Podcast, picking up where movie business book left off. I'm Jason Squire, bringing you a wide range of industry talent and executives to answer fundamental questions about the business. Uh, Today, we're getting into the secrets of covering movie business with Dade Hayes, the New York business editor at Deadline Hollywood, who writes about media business, as well as television, film, advertising, and theater. During a 10-year run at Variety, he led the New York editorial team after serving in Los Angeles as an editor and reporter. He's the author, with Don Schmielewski, of Binge Times, Inside Hollywood's Furious Billion Dollar Battle to Take Down Netflix. Welcome, Dade. So great to be with you, Jason. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure that we could spend time together across the coasts. So let me ask, uh, to start off, in, in your sense, what are the secrets of covering media business? Well, in 2022,
1: you know, which is a different climate, a different atmosphere than when I started out, of course, you have to be omnivorous, I would say. You have to be able to take in and interpret information across a huge array of um, you know, the, the, the dashboard now looks like a triple seven aircraft, you know, with all these different dials, podcasts, social media, of course, traditional media, television. And, you know, increasingly actors themselves or directors themselves are making news through their own accounts. So, you know, you kind of have to be ready for things to pop up. At a moment's notice, sometimes you even stumble upon them yourself, just in the field or in your travels. And just trusting your gut has never been more important. But it's admittedly tougher to do now that there's so much input out there.
0: So do you have a a sense of leeway as to who decides on the stories? How does that work? At deadline, we have a lot of autonomy. I think to
1: pursue stories that we see arising. We're breaking a lot of news ourselves. Obviously, that's kind of in our DNA, and we're you know holding down beats kind of independently without too much um, centralized authority. However, like any newsroom or quasi or virtual newsroom, there is a, a, a hierarchy and we're sometimes given assignments or, or plan coverage. great example would be awards shows. We don't want a free-for-all when it's the Emmy Awards or the Oscars. You know, we, in fact, um, my colleagues in L.A. painstakingly assemble kind of a battle plan for major events like that. Similarly, we're just now in earnings season. So we have a big batch of corporate earnings coming, some of which even go beyond my beat, which is business. And, you know, you have implications on the film and television business in general, companies like Netflix and Disney, of course, and many others. So, you know, it's it's the combination of organization and flexibility, but I'd say we have a lot of freedom to pursue what we see out there. Um, but we're also covering a lot. <laughs> so freedom, wow. but also a pretty pretty vigorous tempo of activity.
0: Wow, that's a, a good way of putting it. So how do you deal with the powerful marketing mechanisms of companies in order to get your information?
1: Oh, that is such an age-old and very relevant question. I mean, it, it, it in a way, it's been... An issue, I think, for publications like Deadline for decades, we do get, we do take knocks from time to time for being too close to those marketing machines. Um, I would dispute that to some extent. I think we we do cover things closely. We're we're the modern version of the trades, you know, that people talk about in the business, where it used to be a few thousand people a day reading. Print editions of magazines like Variety or the Hollywood Reporter. Today, the trades, quote unquote, can encompass a few different things. And deadline, thirty million unique visitors, you know, a month, isn't quite the exact same thing as the old trades, but it's it, it's a pretty close. It, it, it's a, it's an echo of those of those days. And so, but back to your question, I, I think we have you know certain things we do because if a trumpet fanfare is is coming from a particular studio we're not obligated to amplify that trumpet fanfare but you could say it's news just as if procter and gamble rules out a new ad blitz and advertising age would write about it because that's kind of what they cover so we engage with the industry i would say very closely on a granular level but i think some of our best work comes when we go into areas where we're not invited or where we try to deliberately circumvent that marketing machine or at least critique it hold it up to the light i think we are very capable of that we do it pretty much every day and that's always the that's always the trick i like the, i like some kind of balanced diet where it's not just all there are, you know a few social media accounts blogs things i i track that are so outside they can be a little strident and maybe less informed. So the trick is to be informed, to have an inside track and know what's going on and speak regularly to the companies, but also not just completely take their spin or their gloss um, at, at face value, but to kind of question it, you know, be in a dialogue with it. So, well, you
0: know, you've just uh, begged, it, this begs the question of what your favorite ah. sites are. Where do you go? snooping around there, that anyone can There are can many. Find. I,
1: I will say, happily, because uh, it was a very monolithic marketplace, you know, for decades until the internet kind of broke things open. And now it feels more, you know, multifaceted than ever. I mean, there are some fast-rising new players in Puck Media and the Ankler, uh, both really strong, very sort of voicey, informed, you know, newsletter based um, outlets, and they, they keep us on our toes. I like to read those guys a lot. I will go to unlikely places. I mean, I just like to follow a lot of people on Twitter. I don't know if I go to sites as much as I used to. I think like a lot of people, I've fallen out of that habit because of the way social media just has kind of disintermediated that whole process of going to LATimes.com, going to you know certain individual brand sites so a lot of stuff travels very quickly I try to do a survey of the the major newspapers um, every day and more than every day uh, almost every hour just to be thorough I'm listening to NPR and podcasts and other other things trying to watch the NBC in, in our world in the business uh, side of things a lot of People, newsmakers appear on cnbc or in other tv venues and that can always be part of our our diet so it's kind of just a little bit of everything you have to be a pretty avid consumer uh, of media to cover the media i think so i try to play the field
0: i think I it sounds like you know it sounds like it's i've a given f- you
1: a, a bit of an invasive answer in that it's my favorite sites are all sites in a sense. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll read
0: anything. And of course, all that research is a full day's work, so I don't see how (laughs) you have time to write the stories. But speaking of writing, I want to turn to your fabulous book, Binge Times. I want to recommend it strongly to all our listeners. Uh, It's a wonderful book. It's highly informative, compelling, and and really well written. It's, It's just a great read that weaves together the history of streaming with emphasis on Netflix. I don't think that anything has been done in this arena as clearly and as authoritatively as the book Binge Times. So what other lessons learned from writing um, this kind of book?
1: Well, thank you, first of all, for all of that incredibly kind um, praise. Very, very much appreciated. And I wish Don were here to uh, take her well-deserved uh, equal share of that credit. You know, we set out to document this white-hot moment. In it, We started off in 2019, and we were trying to basically capture – this frenzy of activity. If you recall, this was when a lot of the big boulders were being rolled in, into formation, uh, these giant multi-billion dollar enterprises that finally were going to go up against the big guys, Netflix, Amazon, um, Hulu. You know, They were finally going to be more robust competitors, which really had never existed. And so then came COVID. <laughs> I'll skip the big saga of COVID, but that And then what was interesting to us and what we did learn along the way is you can't really handicap. I mean, one of the really fun things about narrative nonfiction is you kind of start off thinking, okay, this is my hero and this is the villain. And this is (laughs) this twist will happen in the second act and then we'll get to the third act. And of course, COVID just upended so much. So that was a major unexpected uh, factor. And then the things that were down were then up again you know when we started off if you recall when apple tv plus launched on november 1st of 2019 reviews were really mixed you know they had the morning show that was a marquee property but not everybody loved it and they didn't have ted lasso they didn't have coda they hadn't really kind of found themselves or found any kind of identity i would argue they maybe still are getting there but they have much more traction today similarly hbo max which we document exhaustively in the book as this fruit of a uh, sort of poisoned tree in effect like it was really the product of a terrible like sequence of mergers and one in particular with at&t where they took over time warner and just kind of all accept that whole thing, as I think even they have admitted. Um, so you know, there there was what, what was fascinating and kept us really stimulated all the way through was how unpredictable it was, and how you always have to be willing to kind of um, you know. I know you're at USC with tons of screenwriters and your fellow professors teaching the art of writing a script you know you kind of sometimes have to move those index cards around the cork board and what you thought would be a great scene two-thirds of the way into the book suddenly becomes you know one of your opening scenes and there was a lot of that but actually we you know i think that's the only way to arrive at a, a, a at a compelling finished product and and we felt like it was certainly worth worth that that toil
0: wow and thanks again. Thanks again for, um, you know, writing that book.
1: Uh, oh, well, yeah, I, I'm so appreciative that it, it struck a chord. Your esteem for the book means the world to us, Jason. So thank you so much.
0: Oh, thank you. Now, I wanted to sort of widen to a, uh, a broader assessment of the business. What's your prognosis for the business?
1: Well, it's it's going through a very... Anxious time. I mean, any sector obviously has felt frazzled this year with all the macroeconomic factors. Inflation, you know, there's been conflict in many regions of the world, particularly in, in Europe. Um, there's obviously been supply chain. I mean, there's a, I could go on a whole list. I'm not an economist, but it's really wreaking havoc with all kinds of sectors. The media business is no different. But layering on top of that is the ongoing cord cutting. I mean, it is accelerating. I think when I, I, you know, a couple of years ago, when I would ask people, like, "Well, where do you think the bundle settles out?" In other words, when when do we kind of hit bottom <laughs> with that pay TV bundle, which, of course, is like the most lucrative business ever created. I mean, it it just threw off so much cash for so many years, and now they're losing that. The big media companies, so. They're on their back foot a little bit because they're trying to manage declining businesses, which would be linear TV networks. And increasingly, the motion picture business, I tend to be a little more upbeat about movies um, going forward theatrically. I mean, just given a few of the rays of sunshine we've gotten recently. However, you can't be too Pollyanna you know, when you really look at the numbers, they're pretty sobering. I don't know that we'll get to the levels where we were in 2019. So that's also technically a business that's less than it used to be. So you have these traditional enterprises. You know, Disney is marking 100 years as a company. Warner Brothers is a almost 100 year old studio. I mean, these are very well entrenched enterprises that have a certain way of doing business. And they've faced this intense competition now from companies that don't have the same concern about spending. Apple, Amazon, even Netflix. I know there's this air of like austerity, and they're going to be cutting back. I think they're still very capable of spending. And just the, just the fact that they're they're saying they're not going to increase spending. Well, they're still at 17 billion dollars a year in content spending. So. Anyway, where does all this leave everybody? I mean, I do think it's going to get tougher before it gets any easier for any companies that are managing these declining assets. So it's it's hard to, you know, if I'm going to put a wager down, it's hard to really bet on the traditional guys. Although if they have enough, like Disney has shown it has quite a, a powerhouse collection of assets including theme parks including sports i mean it has things that can sustain it but i don't know i have started to feel like maybe the amazon mgm deal is like a sign of the times i i do wonder if for years it had been this puzzle uh steve jobs and bob Iger are really good friends you know does that mean that apple's gonna buy disney and you know is that gonna happen of course that didn't happen but there's just always been this intrigue of like could tech and media come together? And no. I, I kind of do feel like that's that's where we're going. I mean, there was a report that just came out the other day that um, Netflix and
0: Paramount had had merger discussions. We're going to be um, following that really closely, but uh, yeah, we have going yeah. to be, you know, it was such a pleasure hosting you because I read you closely in Deadline. Let's thank uh-huh. Dade Hayes for being a wonderful guest on the Movie Business Podcast.